Amen. Well, as Than and Joe said, my name is Justin. Uh, I get to teach tonight, and it is an honor and a privilege. So if you would open with me to Galatians chapter 3. Uh, I want to share, just this afternoon, I was on the phone with a friend and a mentor of mine, and he told me, you know, Justin, you make a great propaganda writer. I'll say that again. You make a great propaganda writer. Now, I'm not sure if that was meant to be a compliment or not, but it's kind of a weird thing to say, right? Like, hey, you're really great at, like, you know, making people believe things they shouldn't. He, he actually specifically said, you know, the Soviet Union would hire you and, you know, a heartbeat, which is... Yeah, all right. Thanks, Ryan. I say that because tonight... I want to assure you I am not speaking in my propaganda voice. I speak to you sincerely from this stage because I believe that Jesus Christ really wants to speak to us tonight. That for everybody sitting in this room, there is a real thing that Christ wants your attention for, that he wants to tell you so that you can believe, that you can act differently, that you can receive the joy and the grace that is in salvation tonight. And so I, I invite with you, uh, I invite you with me to lean forward, to lean in, kind of not necessarily physically, but if it does help, then do it, but lean in, suspend your disbelief, and be expectant. Because I'm convinced that most of us in this room are getting ripped off. And here's what I mean. We are meant for so much joy. God has given us joy. I've titled this, Receive the Joy. And yet, there's really kind of two categories there. There are people who, if you're in this room tonight, and you really experience the joy of salvation, that you say, yes, God has saved me. I believe, I trust every day that my sins are atoned for, that I'm truly forgiven, that I have new life. Amen. Dude, that's amazing. You and I, we just kind of get to enjoy the scripture tonight, that we get to hear this again and again. There's, there's no amount of times we shouldn't hear that. But I think more often than not, we walk into rooms like this, and we're not experiencing joy. And that's for one of two reasons. Uh, first, we're not a Christian. Yeah, and that's, that's plain. Joy comes from salvation. And if that's you tonight... And yeah, you know who you are. That voice in your heart just kind of said, yeah, that's me. I don't really believe. That's okay. Lean in. On the other hand, you might be a Christian. You might really say, yes, I, I trust that. But, you know, I feel like a fraud. You know, I'm singing, we're free, free. You know, I'm no longer a slave. But, man, it, it does not feel like it. I invite you. Lean in. You, you, oh Christian, are what I would call a, a bruised reed. So that's like a really old English term for uh, a stalk of wheat that's been snapped. You're broken, but you're not cut off. And so I encourage you tonight, if that's where you're at, Christ, Matthew 12, he tells you, he says, a bruised reed I will not break. You might feel on the cusp of abandoning Christianity. You might feel on the cusp of walking out of church and never coming back again. 
I encourage you, Christ wants to meet you tonight. This is really who this sermon is for, those who need new hope in Jesus. Tonight is for you. This hope is real. Lean in. This hope is real. And it's for you personally, yes, and you hear that from the stage a lot, but I mean you. I remember sitting in youth group. I remember sitting in church hearing things like that. Yeah, this hope is for everybody, and I would say not me. I encourage you, look to this text and consider tonight that it might be. Let's bow in prayer because I am so in need of it right now. Lord, Oh, I praise you that we can call you Lord, that you are the one who guides our lives, that you are the one who saves, that you are gentle, you are near to us, you are kind to us, and you are good to us. Thank you, Lord. That is amazing. That should make our souls stop. Lord, we repent. We ask just your humble forgiveness for when we do not do that. Lord, when we don't believe that your grace is enough. Holy Spirit, I ask just humbly, would you take hold of us tonight? For those in grace, give them fresh eyes to see it. For those in it who do not experience it, Lord, give them eyes and ears to listen to your words, that you genuinely are gracious to them even now. And to those still separated, Lord, Holy Spirit, cut them to the heart. But indeed, apply the remedy tonight. Do not delay. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we have three points tonight. First, faith alone, which is verses 1 through 9. So if you will open your Bibles and read along with me. So Paul has just defended or defied Peter to his face. He's like, yeah, Peter, you're really screwing this up. As Joe put yesterday, they're in, you know, ancient Chick-fil-A. Not yesterday, last week. Um, It's felt like yesterday. And uh, he's like, yeah, Peter, you were walking with Jesus, but now uh, you've gone back to Judaism. Peter is a cold, classic backslider. One who, like, yeah, like you're walking up a mountain and then you just slide backwards. You undo the progress you made. And Paul closes his comment to Peter with, if there was a way we could be justified that way, it would have happened. And Christ died for nothing. The beautiful thing of this is the Galatians were backsliders. Uh, Christians who are the bruised reeds, you guys are backsliders. I am a backslider. Let me tell you, just eat dinner with me. You'll, uh, you'll see that pretty fast. But Paul, he turns his attention to the Galatians. And this is what he says. He first poses a question. Let's read together. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to just learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? 
are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? Now, I want to point your attention here. It says in verse 2, who bewitched you? Now, this is true. For you in the room who are Christians, who are feeling lost and feeling distant from God, you are a Christian because these guys, Galatians, were like, yo, yeah, we got to like go back to Judaism. They turned. They went the opposite way. And yet G- Paul says to them, you guys believed. You guys had the spirit move among you. And so they were genuine Christians. And Paul is so at a loss at hearing this. He says, I'm, uh, seriously, what happened? Like, did somebody come and cast a spell on you? That's how astounding it is. And so if you're like, man, I was following God, but now I'm really not, guess what? There's hope. And this is what Paul asks you. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? That's my natural inclination. When I sin, uh, especially in the places that I repeatedly sin in my life, the ways in which I've, I've seen sin leave my life and then it comes back, I don't know if I ever feel more defeated. But what Paul says is uh, you go about it wrong. He says you're going to get to that place, and then you say, okay, well, maybe in order to get back into God's good graces, into his blessing, I should, like, go and do churchy things. Like, I should, I should study my Bible more. I should memorize more scripture. I should pray more. Maybe that will, like, get me right with God. And <laughs> Uh, I was building this TV stand, like the thing that goes underneath your TV. Uh, And this thing shipped in a very small box for what it was. And I enjoy putting things together, but Target kind of did me dirty. There was like at least 50 screws for this thing. And they were uh, all Allen wrenches, and they gave me an Allen wrench about that long. And they were like, yeah, so have fun. I was like, okay, yeah, that, like, I, I can do that, right? And, and then I started assembling it, and I put like one piece there, and I put the bracket there, and then I, I started you know, moving the Allen wrench, and I did it on the other side, and I get it going. And then I, it, it suddenly turned into this mess where like trying to use the Allen wrench, I'm like bent up underneath the thing and like can turn the Allen wrench like an eighth of a turn. And I'm like, wow, this is going just great right now. You know, there's nothing I would rather be doing on my Friday afternoon. Um, and then the pieces were warped too. So like the holes didn't quite line up. It was like, you know, like right there and like, they're just, and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So I'd like, you lean against the TV stand. I'm like, don't break, don't break. And I'm like trying to get it to, and I can't because I've only got an eighth of a turn. And I'm like, oh, geez, man, this, I, I, yeah, I was not very Christian in that moment. Um, and I got so fed up that I just, I went and grabbed my drill and I set it on the lowest, on the lowest setting. And my wife doesn't know this because she was out of town. Um, but I, I get to the thing, and I like, you know, I lean back on the piece because it's got to line up. And then I just like, you know, shove the drill. And I, I start drilling these these screws in, and uh, just kind of praying that the wood didn't split. I think it only split like once. So that's. That's good news. What Paul says when he says, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? 
He's saying, you guys have been given a power tool. You guys have been given a drill. Why are you going back to the Allen wrench? Before we were dead in Christ, I spent my life trying to do enough good works to be justified. And Paul's like, Justin, when you screw up and you go back to doing that, you're picking the Allen, actually, you're not even picking the Allen wrench back up. You're trying to twist the screws in by hand when they don't line up. Do you know how useless that is? And I say to you tonight, brothers and sisters, because that's what we are, don't go back to trying to tighten with your fingers or with an Allen wrench. Paul says you need to go by the Spirit. And in verse 5, it says, so again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He says our mechanism was faith. Believing and faith and, uh, mean the same thing. And so Paul says, essentially, it makes sense to continue in faith. It makes sense because you started with your power tool, but if you, pick, if you put that down and start using something else, you're not going to make it very far. Not only does it make sense to continue in faith, we're responsible to continue in faith. Like if you've been given a power tool and somebody's like, hey, assemble the, the TV stand, and you're like, yeah, I got this. Let me, uh, let me just start twisting these in by hand. Like, do you see how ridiculous that is? Like, I feel ridiculous thinking about that because I tried that at a couple of points. But most importantly, it is our greatest delight to continue in faith in Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is that we can never run the cross dry. To you backsliders, to my, my kind of folk, there is no amount of grace that Jesus will not extend to you. I mean, think of the first time that you came to know Christ. I was kneeling actually before a cross, not unlike this one. And on it were names, and I was going through the names and looking at them and saying, well, I know that person doesn't follow Jesus. I know that person doesn't follow Jesus. And I was in this place of dissonance, of backsliding and, and having sin in my life and saying, God, I don't want to end up like those people who proclaim Jesus for a time and then they just go and they leave you. But I just, I can't keep carrying this sin around. And that was when I realized the mound of sin in my life was unatoned for, unpaid for. And there I believed if that was what Jesus started with, a, a lifetime of sin for lesser things, for the sins, yes, we come back to, and yet we, we know him, we know his forgiveness, would he not also extend mercy to you there? Would he not also give you grace there? And so I, that is our delight. So there's nothing we can do to run out of it and empty the grace of God. He is always there for us. Lamentations says his mercies are new morning by morning. Great is your faithfulness.
But then in verse 6, if you look back to the text with me, he says, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, if you're like, you know, this is my NIV study Bible. Uh, It's in quotations, and it's got a footnote on it that says this. Genesis 15, 6, and um, you're like, okay, so why make the mention to Abraham? When we're talking about faith, when we're talking about continuing in the spirit, like Abraham lived 2000 BC, like 2000 years before Christ. What, like, what does that have to do with this? He was the first one called by God. He's the father of the Jewish nations. And there's, I think, a couple of things that Paul wants us to get from this. It says, Abraham believed God, so he had faith in God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. The first thing to notice is that righteousness is what saves. Like, righteousness is purity, uh, being like God, being right with God. And so we say, being right with God means God will invite him into his everlasting love and into his everlasting life with him. And second, God credited it to him as righteousness. It's not, and he paid Abraham. It's not, and he, you know, Abraham believed and then worked for God and then God gave it to him. It says, and he believed God and it, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Credit is freely given. Credit is belief that you will continue in it. So even there with Abraham, back before Jesus came, God saved through faith. Now that's, that's our question. He says, why are you moving away from that? And then Paul pivots in this second part of, of this text and says, you know, you got to look to your lineage, your heritage, the people who came before you. He says in verse 10, or verse 7, read with me. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed alongside Abraham, the man of faith. First thing to notice in verse 7, those who have faith are children of Abraham. Now, uh, if you're like me, um, I'm not Jewish. I Like, plainly, I'm like as wide as it comes. I'm almost see-through in the winter. Uh, amen. You know, it's, uh, no, nobody wants to say amen to that. Okay, just me. It's all right. Uh, <laughs> um. Children look like their parents. Uh, if you go and find actually a picture of my dad when he is like eight and then put it next to a picture of me when I'm eight, uh, it's like carbon copies. It's a little weird. Um, children look like their parents. Therefore, if Abraham had faith, we become Abraham's children because we have faith. We're the same batch. We're the same action. When we believe God, it's credited to us as righteousness. He says, it's when you believe me, you are righteous before me, not by works of the law, not by trying to do good, not by trying to live your best life, but when you believe. 
And then he says in verse 8, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Now, raise your hand. Raise your right hand. Everybody actually do this, please. Congratulations, you're Gentiles, okay? Yeah? We're not Jewish, unless somebody's Jewish in here. Shout out, you know. Um, But we are all Gentiles. We're Americans. God says he's going to justify us in the same way and announced it in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Go read Genesis 15, 16, and 17. You will see that repeated. It was credited to him as righteousness. All nations will be blessed through you. God has no other plan. The first person he interacted with, Abraham, the first man he called to faith, there's no other plan. It is by faith and faith alone. And so we cry alongside the reformers, this phrase called sola fide, which uh, if anybody didn't take Latin in high school, means faith alone. It is faith alone that credits our righteousness. There's nothing else to add on to that. There's no other train behind it. It is faith alone that justifies. It is faith alone that credits us as righteousness. Now, some of you are like, whoa. Now, Justin, I've read my Bible. You know, I'm, I'm a good Christian. You know. There's that whole thing, like Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those, like, rules that God was like, hey, you should follow these rules. What was the point of that if he was just going, you know, justify by faith if we believed, like, whatever that means? You know, that doesn't make sense. What was the point of those 613 laws? that God said to keep, well, I invite you, turn to verses 15 through 25 with me. First, God wants to tell us what he didn't do through the law. Verse 15, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, Scripture does not say, and to his seeds, meaning many people, but it says, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. So what is this saying here? Abraham lived in about 2000 BC. The law didn't come through Moses until about 1600, 430 years after. But God said first to Abraham, he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. So God made a promise. He says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless your children and their children, and they're going to bless the nations. That came first. And so just like when you sign a lease uh, with the people, and I'm kind of upset right now because I still have my old lease, and I am signed a new lease, so I'm paying double rent this month. Woohoo! I can't set that aside. Like, if I did not pay rent, I would probably, like, have fines, and if I did it long enough, I'd get arrested or kicked out of my apartment, and that's not great either. I made that with another human being. If God, the infinite one, the holy one, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, if he makes a promise, certainly that can't be set aside, right? And that's exactly what Paul is saying. 
He says the law didn't set it aside, and he concludes his thoughts in verse 18, for if the inheritance depends on the law, the inheritance is our eternal life. If it depends on the law, that is our works, then it no longer depends on the promise. Like it's either or, right? Either we work for our salvation or we receive our salvation freely through faith. And if it's on this one, if it's on doing everything that's written in the first five books of the law, guess what? Nobody's receiving it by faith. And God lied to Abraham, he lied to the Jews, he lied to Jesus and his disciples, and he lied to us. But it says, but in God, but God, it's 18, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. He says that came first. Now God doesn't change. The fancy word for this is immutable. God cannot change. He never changes. And so if God, 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, sorry, said to Abraham, you will receive eternal life by faith in me. God has no plan B. This is exactly how we should receive faith, is by, or receive faith, receive eternal life, receive salvation, is through faith, and God doesn't change. He doesn't change how he saves us. He doesn't change who he saves us by. He cannot cancel that, and I hope, I hope that's an encouragement to you tonight. So that's what the law didn't do. It didn't cancel out faith. God didn't change his mind, but what did it do? This is the point of the law. Pick up with me in verse 19. This is a a bigger chunk, so I'm going to kind of interrupt myself. Why then was the law given at all? You know, that's a great question, Paul. I'm kind of wondering the same thing. It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Now, this is the important part right here. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. I'm not sure everybody here believes that. Because, yeah, we don't really obey the Jewish law anymore, but we make laws for ourselves. We say, oh, we need to succeed. We need to get our degree. We need to, you know, be kind to other people. I need to make a name for myself. I need to make sure people know who I am and what I've done. I want to leave a mark on this earth. I want to do good deeds. I want to serve people. And we say, maybe that will justify us. Maybe that will do something. And he says, that is not opposed to the law of God or to the promise of God. But he continues For if law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness certainly would have come by that law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. What does that mean? Romans, I think, 3 verse 20 says, the law was given so that transgression might increase, which just means that we do things wrong, right? Adam, the first man, 
and Abraham, they were pretty far apart, and it's not as if there wasn't sin that happened there. But God, when He gave the law, essentially gave us the rule book. He said, hey, this is what's actually wrong. And that ranged from a whole lot of things. That ranged from, hey, keep the Sabbath. Make sure you don't work on, that, on Saturday because you need to spend a day with me and with rest. That ranged to, hey, don't eat pork. Still trying to figure that one out. And it said, and it also went to things like, hey, don't lie, don't cheat. Don't sleep with your mother-in-law. That's, you know, that's an easy one, you would think. But also, treat the oppressed and the widow and the foreigner with kindness and justice. Be just in your rulings. Give freely and expect nothing in return. There might have been wrongdoing before the law came, but the law showed us exactly how wrong we were. And that's what Paul means, but Scripture locked everything up. The words that God gave us just proved to us how sinful we were. That was the point of the law. It was to show us who God was and what he wanted and show us just how far away we were. Why? Why would he do such a thing? I think to point us to faith. The Jews would have known Abraham in and out. I think by 13, they would have had to memorize the entire Old Testament. They would have known they, that Abraham believed, and they would have read the law, and they'd have been like, the law must be the answer, because that's the big thing. The loudest thing tends to get our most attention. But God locked us up underneath the law and showed us how sinful we were so that we wouldn't even try to gain righteousness that way, you know? And yet we still do. We look to the, the good things we do. We look to who we talk to, who we associate with, what we do, try and make our way. I loved that illustration Joe had last week where he was running across the stage like a, like a sh- hooligan. Um, but it, it, it showed us who we are because we do run away. We run away from the only thing that can satisfy And so here we have, Paul says, first faith alone. And then he says, the law came to point us back to that. There was no other way. And you're saying, okay, Justin, you're talking about these, this doom and gloom thing of I can't justify myself, I can't do enough, I can't, I just, I just have to believe, but faith doesn't seem to be getting me anywhere right now. I want to read my Bible, but nothing seems to speak to me. I pray, and it feels like no one's listening. I want to be around other Christians, but it just hurts because I know how deep my own sin runs. How can faith do anything for that?
I encourage you, this, if this is where you're at, lean in again. You might have gotten comfortable. But if you're kind of zoning out here, lean in again. Because there is nothing more tonight than I would want than for Christians who feel far from God to see this passage and have renewed faith in the Lord. And there's nothing more than I would want tonight to glorify the name of Jesus than for those who don't know him, who have never trusted in his name, the ones who are like, yeah, that's me when you're talking about far from God, except times 100. I want you to hear this and believe why faith works. Why it works. Turn to verse 10 with me. Our sin still stands, but God says, faith, what happens to our sin? Why does faith work? Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do the, everything written in the book of the law. Now, we, we don't use curses a whole lot, well, except cussing, but that's a whole different thing. Uh, when it says under a curse, it means it's under God's judgment. That's fearful. Okay, God is the infinite, the holy, the all-powerful, the almighty, the all-knowing. He knows every single sin. He knows every time we have not kept to the law. And he says, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the law. So we, by nature, are under that curse. We, by nature, have God's wrath coming upon us. And he quotes the scriptures. He quotes Deuteronomy 27. He says, cursed is everyone who does not do these things. And yet, verse 11, clearly no one relies on who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous shall live by faith. And another quotation, that one's out of Habakkuk chapter 2. Now that seems kind of weird. That seems contradictory. He says the righteous shall live by faith, but if we continue in the law, or if we fail to continue in the law, we're going to die. Which, which one is it? You know, that seems um, incongruent. I'm telling you right now, whatever law you're following, whether it's the Jewish one, whether it's the Christian one, or whether it's your own, you will never measure up. And yet he says to us, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. He says the righteous will live by faith the person who does these things, that is, keeps the law, which is from Leviticus, will live by them. So if we kept the law perfectly, we would have eternal life. And yet we all fall short. You're like, yeah, I get that. Come on, you're, you're beating a dead horse now. I want to say to you, turn your heart to these verses. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He bought us back. The very thing that was coming upon us, God's wrath, his holy, righteous, and perfect, well-justified wrath to condemn us to hell for all of eternity. He said, I am going to move you out of the way. How did he do that? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, 
Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole? Well, that, that's kind of weird. The word pole uh, actually is cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Same word. If you want to see something cool, it's right here. God gave the law in 1600 B.C. Jesus Christ died in about 33 B.C. And yet God, knowing what was coming, knowing how he would save us, knowing how he would bring grace and righteousness to us who would believe, he brought this scripture. Everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. And it's no surprise that 2,000 years later, God's son would become a curse for us and hang on a tree on our behalf. Why did the Romans choose crucifixion? It's uh, strange and not really clear. It's clear when you read it this way. God intended to save humanity through a broken and messed up way of killing somebody. And so I encourage you, this is, this is how it happened. Jesus in the garden is praying, go and read. And he's starting to get weighed down and really heavy in heart, and it's because he is taking our sin upon him. God sees all of it. God sees our lives in every detail, every way that we sin that we're not even aware of. Jesus took that upon himself. Now, this is the act of God that we don't understand and don't get to understand, but somehow, some way, Scripture testifies to this fact. Jesus became our sin. He became our substitute. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 9.22 says this, Without the shedding of blood, there will be no forgiveness of sins. And so in that moment, when Jesus is praying and the, the guards come with him and Judas kisses him and it happens all like this, the disciples follow, he goes on trial and they start to beat and torture him. They start to mock him publicly. They say, crucify him, crucify him. And he goes up to Golgotha and is crucified on our behalf. It's in that very moment that God hung our sin on a tree that we might have life. Because when our sin went under God's curse, as we know, there is nothing more powerful, fearful, or totally consuming. So when God put our sin under a curse in Jesus' death, in his shedding of his blood, our sins were forgiven fully. No questions asked. And so, sinner, I, I say to you, like, however old of a sin you have, however long you've been sinning, however much you've been sinning, Christ has paid it in full. Christian, who questions their relationship with God, who is swarmed with doubt and hurt and pain right now, wondering if God's even there or even caring about them, yes, Jesus has paid your sins in full. Jesus says this, all oh, these sweet words to us. John 6, 37, all, the, those, all of those that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Could he make it more plain? 
He says, come to me. That's it. I will never cast you out. Now, if you're like me, some of you are sitting here right now saying, I've sinned so much. You don't even know. He will never cast you out. I've sinned for so long. I've taught other people to sin. He will never cast you out. I've hated Jesus and his people. He will never cast you out. I've turned back to my sin so often. He will never cast you out. I want to go to him, but he... He can't accept me. He will never cast you out. I am unworthy, you say. He will never cast you out. How do I know this? Because Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. So if you understand your sin, if you see it and you say, I'm unworthy, if you're fearful to come before him as to what might happen, he came to save you. Yes, even you. And so I say, take hold of Jesus. I lack good words to explain this, but it's, it, it is by faith that we say, yes, Jesus, I see that you are hung on a tree from my behalf. I can see that my sin would be forgiven. You are my Lord. And you trust that, yes, Jesus not only has forgiven you in the cross, but he wants to forgive you in the cross. Oh, backsliding Christian, I, I wish you would believe that tonight. And to you, you who have never trusted, you're saying, my sin is heavy, man. I don't, I don't know if I can come. Run to him. However much fear you have about that, however many questions you have about that, I say run to him and don't wait. Taste of the grace that Jesus has given you. Has he not gone to the uttermost lengths? God died on your behalf. Now in a few minutes, I'm, I'm gonna pray Tech team, would you just kill the lights in the room? And wherever you are, if you're a Christian, if you're like, man, amen and amen, God is good. Fantastic. Pray for people you know who don't know Christ. If you're in this room and you're like, man, I've, wow. I claim Jesus, but I'm not following him right now. Run to the Lord again. He had mercy on you once. He will have mercy on you again. And if you've never believed, I encourage you, ask, is this true for me? Ask God. He hears you. He knows. And run to him in faith. In a few minutes, I'll, I'll pray for us.